Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Heavenly Father, thank you for the words of that song. Lord, may we find our rest in you. All kinds of rest may be found in you. It is found in you. Lord, thank you that you are all that we need. And Lord, may we lead lives that are are satisfied, lives of contentment, because we have you, and what more could heaven give? We are so very thankful. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. Uh, several years ago at Trek, we had a local pastor come in um, and share. And neat guy, neat story, um, originally from, uh, I think it was Kenya. Uh, he had actually been recruited at one time to play soccer in one of the European countries at like $10,000 a week because he was quick. Now, I'm not sure how quick is quick when professional soccer players call you quick. I'm assuming he was pretty quick, Um, but he turned that down and came over to Canada, became a pastor, um, and it was neat. Like, we had always had a good time uh, in our conversations. It was interesting because he had been on the receiving end of short-term missions teams that had come internationally. He had also sent, uh, you know, teams out internationally, and so just always um, appreciated him. And uh, so I asked him one time, would you come speak on evangelism to our Trek group, right? We got all these young adults fired up to go out and do missions. It would be great to hear your, your perspective on evangelism. And in, we were kind of analyzing it afterwards because it turned into an, a mitigated disaster. But um, he had sent us these books to read beforehand. And because I don't think he was really that kind of familiar with how we were set up. And we're like, oh, great, resources, whatever, put them on the list, Right. So he thought that we had read these like three to five books and kind of understood where he was coming from when in fact we had not. And so he showed up and I still remember where we were at and that, 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 that basement space in, in that church. And so he, you know, we've asked him to come in and speak on evangelism and he starts off on, you know what, God is going to save who God wants to save and there's nothing you can do about it. And he just keeps hammering this point, like, over and over. And, and like, as an evangelism talk, like, it was, it was actually really awful. Um, because it was really coming across as, like, don't bother. You know? And, and I was speaking with him afterwards. And he said that he had wanted to get to this point where it was actually a place of encouragement because what he wanted to build towards was like, hey, so when you're out there doing your ministry or your whatever else and it feels like it's not going very well, don't worry about it because God will still save who God's going to save despite your worst failings or best efforts or that kind of thing. So he was wanting to build to this place of encouragement, did not get there because the whole thing just disintegrated into like this feisty theological debate in, in the middle of the deal and it took us like a week or two to recover from, right? Like it was just, it was a, it was a wreck. With salvation and really with a lot of other things in life, one of the things that I've noticed is that from a distance, it looks pretty simple, pretty clear-cut, 
you know, pretty kind of black and white and, you know, just do this and do that and you're done. However, once you really get closer and you really kind of get into the details, it gets a lot more complex, right? Farming. Uh, You plant some stuff, you fertilize it, you water it, chill for a bit, something grows and you harvest, right? Technically true, right? No part of that was a lie, but as you know, when you get closer and you get into the details of what kind of seed you plant and when you plant and the soil temperature and fertilize and when fertilize and watering schedule and all these other kinds of things, right? Like you really get into the details way more complex than that, right? Even even baking a cake, right? You mix some things together. You have like a hot box thing you put it in. Cake, right? And yet... Like, what are the ingredients, and when do you add the ingredients? And sometimes you add salt, and I don't know why. And why do you do that in the beginning? Why can't I just sprinkle salt on top afterwards? And what should be the temperature of the oven? And can I just use a cookie sheet? Like, why do you have to use, and the shape of the pan? Right, like, there's a lot more details in that. The, if, if I remember this correctly, so John and Helen's son is a baker, fantastic bakery in Lincoln, And I remember John talking, you know, people come in and they're like, oh, this tastes amazing. Can I get the recipe? And they're like, sure, you can have the recipe, but it's not in the recipe. It's in the tech, right? The recipe is like four ingredients, you know? It's like scribbling on a sticky note. Here you go, right? They're going to go home. It's going to be a disaster, right? You know, so it's just, it's so much more complex when when you get into the, the details of it. The same thing is true of salvation. I can show you verses that keep it real simple, right? Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Cut and dried. No problems. I can also show you verses where I think the authors are trying to explain kind of the, the detailed chemistry, if I can use that word, chemistry of what's going on behind the scenes, and they're, they're, they're trying to explain it to us, and so they'll say things like, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What, like, we might become, like even just that phrase, we might become the righteousness of God. Like, if I'm talking to someone who doesn't know anything about Christianity, I am not going to open with that verse. Right? I'm going to stick to the first verse. Later on, maybe we can get to the second verse. But, you know, to just kind of kick things off, I'm sticking with with the first one. I'm going to talk about salvation today. Um, We're going to start with a real basic explanation, because I think that's the most important thing. And then we're going to scratch the surface, and I do mean scratch the surface, on some of the kind of the behind-the-scenes complexity. But the reason that I want to do that, though, is because I think it speaks to our motivation and even our strategy. And, and, and our motivation on why we do this is, is, is pretty important. Um, when I first, you know, thought, oh, I'll talk about salvation, you know, at first I was like, boy, I don't know, am I going to have enough to talk about? And now I realize that this should be like a nine-part miniseries, and it's not. So my apologies we could talk about this for months, um, but we're doing it in a day. So, the easy one, right? Like, let's, we're just going to start off 
easy. Um, and really, if you remember nothing from today, this is the thing to remember, because this is kind of the, the, most, the most helpful. So hold out your hand, either hand, I don't care. Hold out your hand just in front of you, and you start with the thumb. And th this is your cheat sheet that you can use all your life, and I've used it too. You start with the thumb. It's kind of like hitching a ride, right? I don't know if anyone has ever done that, hitchhiked. Um, I've not. I don't really recommend it, actually, but some people have. Salvation is a free gift from God. We see that in verses like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. Romans 6.23, the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me also say I'll give you all these verses next week in Sunday school. I know some of you are already getting nervous trying to write everything down. It's okay, be calm. I'll give you the full list next week. So, that's the first part. Salvation's a free gift, kind of like kitchen, a free ride. The, the second finger, right? We often use this finger when we accuse, right? When we appoint. That's the accusation. All have sinned, Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. I only listed the first two verses up there. I got lots more. Um, sin equals death. The wages of sin is death. Revelation. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Luke 12. I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Uh, Luke 13. I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Acts 17. Uh, the times of, ig of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. If you want, you can give some of the background explanation, right? Under the whole accusation thing. You can talk about Adam and Eve and how they opened up the door to sin and how all of humanity has been sinning ever since. You can talk about how no one has any excuse. Romans 1 and 2 talks about God revealed his glory in nature. So, so no one was without excuse because you can go out and look around and you should be able to figure out that God is awesome and, and glorious and smart and all of these other things. Okay, so those are our first two fingers, right? It's like hitching a ride, and then you have the accusation. Middle finger, you always got to be careful on that one, so I'll just hold up the whole hand, right? So, but that, that middle finger, that one right there, that one's our tallest finger, right? Tallest finger. So that's like um, a beacon, right? And so what is, it, it, it's our beacon of hope. What is our beacon of hope? And that is that Christ paid the debt, Romans 5, um, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God, in his love, or showed, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. First uh, Thessalonians, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Romans 5.10. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, uh, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. John 
God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So those are your first three fingers, right? Fourth finger, that's where you put the wedding ring. At least that's where I put my wedding ring, right? I got all these cool rubber ones. They're kind of neat. So wedding ring goes on the fourth finger. Marriage, bonded, reconciled, united through Jesus Christ. How do I receive the free gift? I give my life to Christ, right? I'm, I'm unified with Christ. John 3, 16, 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world um, but that the world um, through him the world might be saved. Uh, John 14, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father through me. Romans 3.22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Romans 10.13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10.9 and 10, this is a great one. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Um, and then you can also even unpack on that one. Um, there are verses that talk about peace with God. There are verses that talk about reconciliation with God, using different words to, to describe it. So that's, so that's the fourth finger. Last one, pinky. Okay? Kind of like a, 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 a pinky promise. I don't think I've ever actually done one of those. But I get that's a thing, right? Pinky promise. He promises that you will have, that, that you are a new creation. And he promises you the Holy Spirit. Um, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Ephesians 1.13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, that we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, all were made to drink of one spirit. So, five figures, five kind of aspects or steps in understanding salvation that, that anyone can... Un and when you're having a conversation, if this comes up, you can literally just stand there and be like, well, you know, like... You know, just as like a reminder as you, as you kind of walk through the steps. And if you really want to get into it, you know, grab two, three verses from each one and, and memorize those. And then you can just be like, well, you know, this verse says this and this verse says this. And you just, you know, like you don't have to explain the five fingers. You can just stand there. I've done that, you know, and, and you just kind of work through it as, as a reminder. So, and that's probably the most part, important part of today. The chemistry the details of what's going on behind the scenes with salvation. Um, there is a lot that we could talk about, and, and ultimately kind of landed on this, simply because, one, to explain just, just where we are at as a church and a dom denomination, but also because it speaks so much to, to our motivation and, and how we approach this and really approach evangelism. 
um, and within Christian circles. And so this is kind of an in-house debate, right? There is a hot debate going on on what goes on behind the scenes for salvation and, and how salvation works. And so um, just going to kind of talk through this a little bit. When that pastor came and spoke on Trek and, and shared on evangelism, what we didn't realize is that he had a pretty significant different belief on how salvation worked. And because of that different belief on how salvation worked, it expressed itself in a different approach to evangelism, and one, frankly, that, that we weren't really kind of looking for, because it speaks into strategy and motivation. So here's a little bit of the background. In 1609, James Arminius died. God rest his soul. He was a uh, seminary professor, a Dutch seminary professor. However, the year after he died, in 1610, some of his followers, which were nicknamed Arminians, drew up five articles of faith based on his teaching, and they presented them as like a protest to the state church of Holland. And they said, we want to form a remonstrance, protest, because these are points where we think the state church is wrong, and we would like, so, like, we want to bring this up, and we want this changed. We're, we're protesting these, these parts of the state church of Holland. I sometimes feel bad for being slow in, like, my email response, right? In 1618, eight years later, the church responds. I don't feel so bad anymore. Eight years later, the church holds a synod, basically like a church council meeting, to examine this protest. Like 100-plus people show up. There are a bunch of Christian people. There's 18 secular commissioners. I don't even know if there were Christians, but it's a state church, so I'm guessing you got like government officials show up. There's like 25 delegates from different countries. They show up. They hold 154 sessions, which sounds nauseating, but God bless them, they went after it. And a year later, in 1619, they write up their response, and they basically say, thank you very much, but no, we're sticking with our belief, and here we've kind of summarized it. And today, we now nickname or refer to that as the five points of Calvinism, because a lot of their points were, were built on some of John Calvin's work. And both of these points, right, the five points of Arminianism, the five points of Calvinism, have undergone a lot of, well, one is written in Dutch to begin with, right? But also people in the 1600s just talk differently than we to do today. So today we have a lot of, like, summaries and that kind of thing, right? So the exact wording has kind of gotten modified or we come up with acronyms or, or that kind of thing. What I also find interesting, though, is that these five points of Calvinism that they wrote up were all written after John Calvin died, right? So it wasn't actually a debate between this seminary professor... Uh, what's his name, James Arminius and John Calvin, both of them were dead. Um, it was really a debate that took place between their followers years afterwards, right? So, and the other thing, too, is that even within that, for both of these men, their views predated them, right? Like, this is a debate going back a couple thousand years in humanity trying to figure out how God does things, which we're probably never going to get there, because God's like this, and we're like this, and whatnot. So, even though the Arminians wrote up their, their five points first, it's, it's easiest to understand if we start with the, the Calvinist view. 
Um, and today, modern writers have summarized this um, with an acronym called TULIP. The other side doesn't get a cool acronym, um, but they, they get an acronym called TULIP. Uh, total depravity. Um, they would say that um, all of mankind is completely depraved, sinful, corrupt, wholly, completely evil, completely corrupted by sin, completely unable to obey God's world, uh, God's word, right? Our world likes to think that people are inherently good. They said, nope, sinful, and just in your sin, dead. Dead, 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 dead. And that's going to become very important in, in these next couple points. Because if you are dead, 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 dead in your sin, next point, unconditional election or sovereign election, God decides who to save. You don't. God decides. So any idea that you have around free will is kind of an illusion. He chose you. Now the hard part of this then is that in choosing you, God also intentionally did not choose others. Because we are completely dead, because we are incapable of doing anything good, like choosing Christ, he had to choose us. Because we just, we were incapable of doing that. Um, and because it's not based on our good works, it's called unconditional. Okay? Then that then also results in limited atonement. So atonement is like, the covering for offense, it's reconciliation, it's restoration, right? It's payment for sins. So since God is not saving everyone, he didn't need like the full package atonement. He just needed like the limited package for atonement for those he was going to save. Theologians would probably be mad at that explanation. Um, and then irresistible grace. When God decided that you should be saved, he made his grace so irresistible that you could not deny it, and you had no choice but to accept it, right? Um, and so that is part of, like, he chose you, and you're incapable of choosing him. They also said preservation of the saints. Like, once you're saved, always saved, can't lose salvation. Okay, so that, that was their response. The Arminians, though, what they had put forward was this. They said, humans have free will. Although human nature is affected by the fall— um, man is not entirely helpless. God allows every sinner to repent and believe, um, but he allow, but he God does so in such a manner so as not to interfere with man's freedom. Right? Each sinner possesses a free will, and his eternal destiny will be determined by how he uses that free will. You have conditional election. So when Scripture talks about predestination, it's not that God pre chose people before they were born, but rather he was able to look into the future and he knew who would choose him. Universal atonement. So Christ died for all men and salvation is available to all men and any man. However, like the person still has to receive it, right? Like you're not saved unless you receive it, but it's there for anyone and everyone should you want it. Resistible grace. God does all he can to bring every sinner to salvation, but because man is, does have free will, he can successfully resist the Spirit's call. 
and then fall from grace. They had, this part kind of went through some transitions throughout time, but ultimately the kind of the consensus that, or that they put forward is that a Christian could lose their salvation. So that was their fifth point. So here's the thing. On all of these, and I was going to do this, but then I realized how many pages of notes I had, so I skipped it. For all of these, I can give you a verse that supports it. Where if you just read that one verse, you would say, yep, that's right. For both sides of the column, right? But I can also find you another verse that seems to contradict or go the other direction in all of this, okay? Now, it's not to say that Scripture disagrees with itself. It's just to say that this is complex, and there's a lot more going on behind the scenes, and it's not as cut and dried as just, like, mix some things together and throw it in the oven and you get a cake, right? Like, there's a lot going on here. So where, where I'm at and really where our denomination at is this, is that we would say that free will exists. But at the same time, God works and, and God moves and, and God calls and, and there's an enemy we fight against, right? Like it's, while free will exists, it's not just a matter of like, let's have a logical discussion. I mean, First John tells us that Satan had, I think it's First. Uh, no, 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 that's a different spot. Um, it talks about Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. And there are other verses that talk about, like, you know, God calling people to Christ. And so there is like a spiritual realm warfare thing that is taking place where God is working and moving. And, and that has to happen at the same time. But yet you also have stuff like Joshua saying, choose this day whom you will serve as for me and my house we will serve the Lord. So he's choosing who's choosing, right? Like, so that is going on, on at, at the same time. And there's just all these verses that articulate free will and also express God's love for the whole world. I mean, God's desire is that none should perish. None. Like, that's kind of a big word. None. And when Scripture talks about Jesus, you know, God loved, for God so loved the whole world, not just the elect, the whole world, right? And so it's just all that. But at the same time, we would say that, like, once you're saved, that's locked in. Like, it's done. Like, you cannot lose your salvation. You don't have to be fretting if you've chalked up enough good points for today. Like, it's done. Like, once you are a new creation, you, you can't walk back from that. You're a new creation. It's sealed. It's done. It's finished. Like, it's, it's that. So, men and I, brethren, are maybe kind of in the middle somewhere. I, you know, I mean, that's, we're not exactly in, like, either camp. But, but what we believe about this, I think, determines and influences how we act, right? Throughout the years, I have had wonderful Jesus-loving friends who are of kind of the, the, the tulip, uh, Calvinistic um, position, Right? And by their own admission, when they either reflect on their own life or their church or their denomination, evangelism, not really a thing. Not really a priority. Because if God decides, why bother? And you will see leaders in those denominations struggle, I think, this is my opinion, 
struggle to motivate people to engage in evangelism. And so they're always doing these sermons and books and like, well, how does evangelism and predestination fit together? Because they're trying to get people to still engage evangelism because God calls us to do that, right? But on, on, on the flip side, if you believe that people have a free choice, I think it's very motivating to get the message out there and to do a good job of it, right? But again, though, the danger is that you can go too far to one side and then we put it entirely on ourselves um, and there's not enough consideration for the Holy Spirit working and what's happening in the spiritual realm and all these other things and we just put all of the success or the blame 100% on us and kind of both sides, right? They, all the credit or all the blame either lands on God or us as compared to, you know, really kind of working together. The, the, the pastor that I referenced, you know, at the beginning, he was trying to convey that basically, you know, you could do sloppy work and it wouldn't matter. And I would disagree. I, I think the gospel needs to be shared in a compelling way. But it also involves the Holy Spirit at work in, in their life. It's kind of interesting, you know... You go online or you look at like these motivational posters or challenges or, you know, that kind of thing. And they talk about, oh, you set these goals and wouldn't it be amazing if you set these goals and you hit those goals in, in your life and in your job and your career. And I'm like, how do I set goals when, when success is so heavily influenced by other people's free will? Like, I don't know that, that like, that's just a different category, you know, than like making widgets, you know, like it just, it's just a little bit different. The result, though, for us is that we are compared to share, we are compared to evangelize, but we recognize that it's a very kind of multifaceted approach. And that the five-finger evangelism thing, kind of understanding how that works, like that is a great tool to just keep in your back pocket. Like just kind of always know that one and, and have that one on standby as just, if you want to call it even a crutch, I don't care. I you know, do it. But it just kind of helps you talk through and think through um, evangelism and salvation. It's interesting. The And here's a terrifying verse. In the Old Testament, God told Ezekiel that if you don't warn these people about what's coming, their blood is on your hands. Um, in Ezekiel 3.18... If I say to the wicked, so this is God talking, if I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. And you, talking to Ezekiel, you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked ways in order to save his life, that that person, that wicked person, shall die for his iniquity, which is another kind of word for sin. They shall die in, for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. And he says the same thing later on in chapter 33. For most of our conversations with the world, right, the, the five-finger evangelism or whatever it is that, that you want it to use, that is a great tool to have. However, I think for the mature Christian, it is helpful for us to understand what we believe and why we believe it because that informs strategy, motivation, how we go about this, all these other things. Um, Romans 10.13, I'll end on this, such a great passage. 
For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Very encouraging verse. And then he says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Or without someone going? Without someone telling them? How are they to know if someone doesn't tell them? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And my prayer for today is that our church will be a church of beautiful feet. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to say at the outright that uh, it's more complex than, than a human mind will ever truly fathom. But Lord, we want to be motivated and inspired. We recognize that there's most likely some part of our theology that still needs to grow or learn or be corrected. But Lord, may we never be lacking in zeal. And I pray that this is a church of beautiful feet because this is a church of people who share, people who go. Lord, may we always just be attuned how you're working and what you might be doing in someone's life and praying into that and and even at times asking your permission to share and and to be able to walk through and and help someone understand what is salvation and how's that work and what uh yeah both the the consequences of of rejecting it and and the beautiful benefits of accepting it lord may we be faithful in all those things We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.